to the Coaches Rising podcast. My name's Joel. I hope you are doing well. And this is a podcast for you if you are passionate about doing powerful, potent, transformational work with your coaching clients. And today I'm going to be joined by Darren Gold, who is the CEO of the Trium Group. And the Trium Group do organizational development, leadership development, operational development with companies. They've been operating, I think, for 22 years now. They work with people like Disney, Dropbox, eBay, Levi's, LinkedIn. And so we are going to talk today about a few things. We're going to talk about the work that Darren does and that Trium does with their clients, particularly focusing on the, the coaching aspect. So we'll talk about what Darren looks for in the coaches that he wants to work with at Trium. We'll talk about the thought leaders, the books, the paradigms that Darren recommends that coaches who want to work, particularly with leaders in businesses, need to know about. We'll talk about the superpower that Darren describes, the human superpower. What is the superpower and what does it make possible when we're able to work with it with our clients? We'll talk about critical distinctions that Darren shares with his clients to help them empower themselves and, and just how he works with his clients in general. So it's a great conversation. Just a few more words about Darren. Darren it brings a lot of experience. He's been a previous CEO and longtime board member. He's now the CEO of Trium Group. He is the author of a best-selling book, Master Your Code, The Art, Wisdom, and Science of Leading an Extraordinary Life. He's been on TEDx and just has a lot of experience developing leaders. So we are in good hands today. And just to say before we dive in, I would really appreciate it if you'd be willing to share this podcast, if you're inspired to do so. I'd love to spread the word. And also, if you're not on our mailing list and you want to stay in the loop about everything we create, which isn't this podcast, then you can head to coachesrising.com. Just go down on that homepage there. You'll find a sign-up box. Put your name in there and sign up and you'll be in the loop. All right, so let's dive in. Here's the podcast with Darren Gold. Yeah, Darren, it's uh, great to be with you. Um, I'm really excited to talk with you today. How are you doing? I'm doing really well, Joel. Really great to be here. Thank you for having me, and I'm really looking forward to the conversation. Yeah. Um, I was just saying to you in the, our little check-in beforehand about I'm excited to speak to you because of the work you do. And actually, I'll ask you to share more about that. But you know, I think one of the important things for me and our community in these times is, is that you know, it feels like there's a lot of disruption, uncertainty, and that coaches can play an important role. And maybe that the role of a coach is needing to adapt and evolve along with the times. And there are certainly tried and tested things that all coaches need, but at the same time, the practice is expanding and evolving. So all this to say, you're out there in the field doing the work and you've got an important, you're a kind of a sensor, you're a sense maker and an expert. So I'm really excited to share your experience and what you're seeing with our audience. Great. So maybe you could just tell us a little bit about just a, an introduction to like um, the work you are doing and uh, the company you work in so that we get at that kind of context. Great. Yeah. So um, I'm the CEO of the Trium Group. We're based in San Francisco. Although to say we're based anywhere in today's time seems a little... Uh, inaccurate um, given the virtual nature of our our work. And that is, of course, uh, as expected, becoming a more permanent feature. We have practitioners really all over the world uh, that are part of the firm. Um, 
maybe a little bit about the firm's history and then a little bit about who we are. I'll just spend a minute or two. But we're a 23-year-old firm um, founded with a mission to change the world by changing the way business leaders think with this fundamental belief that um, organizations are the product in particular uh, of the senior leadership of that organization. And that if you want to grow, scale, and transform an organization, the leaders, particularly the senior leaders of the organization, need to grow, scale, and transform themselves. And so we've been really a catalyst for working with senior teams um, and helping them uncover a path of transformation that really is connected to and leads to demonstrable business results. And so in some ways, we are a management consulting firm that brings the kind of orientation and sophistication of set of practitioners who really understand business and business strategy, really how the firm was founded, um, with the kind of sensitivity and passion and craft of uh, people that are intensely passionate about and interested in human development. And we bring those sort of two, what have been historically separate disciplines together in a really a skillful and integrated way. And I think that's the, the sort of secret to our, our success. And um, it gives us an opportunity to be in the most privileged of situations with incredible uh, list of clients. And some of that work is coaching, not all of it. You know, we will work with uh, um, teams in sort of offsite uh, kind of settings. Um, we'll work on strategy and culture projects we'll work on team development, we'll work on individual leadership development, and we're a very bespoke firm. So, you know, the I, I say it's probably the worst business model in the world. Nothing we ever do uh, is the same. So we're constantly innovating and conforming and shaping our work to meet the needs of our clients. Um, and we found that that's important uh, to do. It's, it's, uh, it's absolutely essential. And we'll bring in a wide array of uh, practices that help the client given whatever situation they're in. We can talk a little bit more about that. Mm. How important, uh, well, you said it's very important that you bring these two elements together, the ones you mentioned at the start. Yeah. Um, what, what does that make possible that isn't there when you have them separately? Yeah, I think what, what we've realized over the years, and I think most people, we pr probably experience this as well, is that um, any conversation around strategy, business performance, business results without attending to the complex dynamics of a human system is going to be ineffective and vice versa. Any focus on leadership development without taking into account the realities of the business, what these executives actually want to uh, achieve and what they really care about um, is going gonna, is gonna to fall short. And so what we confronted, um, the founding of the firm was uh, almost a divided world of practitioners. You know, I have way, way back uh, in my background, a few years at uh, the consulting firm McKinsey, and they're a wonderful firm and do incredible work. But I think what we were finding was when we're just focused on strategy development um, without asking the question, okay, we have a complex human system that has to go and execute this strategy. Um, the value just was falling short. And then you had a bunch of firms out there that were really passionate and dedicated to leadership development, but maybe didn't bring the understanding and credibility that comes from that understanding of what it really means to operate a business. Um, 
they were going to have a good time with leadership development, but but maybe not contextualize it and integrate it enough for it to be really effective. And so the art has been for us at least to find a way to really develop a team of practitioners that have mastery in both domains and then have the additional skill of bringing them together. And it's hard, you know, it's one of those ineffable subjects, right? It's hard to explain. It's, you have to sort of experience um, that coming together, but we've done it well. And it's, um, uh, I think, part of what differentiates us. Right. Uh, actually, this, this was a question I wanted to ask you about, because um, I hear you there saying that you have practitioners that can bring together the, the human development side with strategy. And uh, so what the question I often ask people is, what do you see as being a quality in the coaches that you're looking for to hire? Or, you know, in general, what would you say about what you think that coaches are needing to become in these times in order to support leaders and businesses more effectively? Yeah, it's a great question. And it's really hard, right? There are no unicorn coaches out there, <laughs> right. uh, myself yeah. included. So we all have our strengths and there are all places where, you know, we're continuing to need to develop and grow. But I think what we're looking for is certainly uh, coaches that have um, depth of experience. But if you've been around the block for 15 or 20 years and have been coaching business leaders and you're interested um, and you have certain capacities, you're going to pick up a lot around pattern recognition and, and, and understanding without ever having operated anything yourself or been formally schooled or trained in business. And so at a, as a kind of prerequisite, you know, our coaches bring that level of experience. And then uh, a number of our coaches have direct operating experience, right? They uh, maybe began their careers uh, in operating roles and in senior executive roles, ultimately, and then found some, you know, you know, found some point in their life where they're like, some, I need something more and discover the world of coaching. And we're able to successfully bridge uh, that transition and bring all the incredible experience they had as uh, senior executives and marry it with this new discipline of coaching. Um, I often ask the question of like, what do people read? Because it's often an indication of like, where are their interests? And more and more our coaches um, that we, uh, uh, that we work with are equally interested. Uh, I'm sure you and I and many of the listeners are reading a lot of the very same things around you know, human development and leadership development. Uh, I can't help it. Uh, and spend a lot of my own time on my own personal growth. That's never ending. Mm. But I also have a, fair, a good diet of, um, of business books and leadership books. And uh, you know the things that I might be reading weekly will touch on those things because I want to have a language and um, shared context when I'm working with a business executive that allows me to weave in and out of those two domains, depending on what we're, we're talking about and oftentimes be in the, in both of those domains at the same time, but it requires a level of commitment to understand, um, that domain, uh, to read it, to be curious about it. Um, so that's, that's, that's sort of what we're looking for. Cause I, I feel that too. And, um, it felt felt like in my own path, there was a certain point where um, just focusing on leadership development felt too insular, and there was a kind of cross paradigmatic development that kicked in uh, once I started to learn about um, and, and actually create my own company. So, mm, you know, right. but yeah, to read about 
how companies grow, how systems work, and actually see the parallels between the two, you know? I don't know if that fits for you and the coaches that, that work with Trium. Very much. Yeah. I even noticed that in my own, you know, my own role. Now I have had a couple of CEO roles in my background um, and bring those to bear in my coaching, but it's not, not necessary, not required, but even my current role, there's a congruence uh, in my coaching. So I'm working with business leaders. Now we have different firms we're leading in different organizations and different issues, but the act of being in the game of leading um, can be very complimentary and, and not necessary, but, but very complimentary. And I always say you're, you're a CEO of something in your life. You're certainly a CEO of yourself. Uh, you might be the leader of your family or your community or team, um, but we all have leadership experiences. We may not give name to that phenomenon, but uh, I'd like to try to. And, uh, and then it gives us kind of a resource from which to draw um, as we begin to empathize with our clients and draw on our own kind of personal experiences. I think there's always something coaching around um, bringing to bear, you know, personal experience. Um, and that certainly applies to, to the, the business part of what we do. I don't normally offer uh, ask about books and things, or but I'm just actually I'm curious. Like if you if we were speaking to somebody who's a coach right now and they are on that human development side, and you know they they are either starting to work with leaders or maybe even have quite a bit of experience. What models or books would you say? You, you know this is really hot right now, or you just just check, you need to know about this. Like, yeah, well, I, I go to Jim Collins. I think, you know, if you're going to be coaching business leaders, you you ought to have read, read Jim Collins' stuff. <laughs> Good to grade in the three or four books that he's written. He's written more than three or four books, but uh, in that series, he's one of the better uh, writers and students of, of mm -hmm. business. Uh, and it gives you a basic vocabulary. It's, you know, I talk a lot about language as kind of reality is a linguistic phenomenon, right? So the language of business um, will create a different set of, you know, a different awareness. And so to arm oneself with that language, uh, I think is, is important. And Jim Collins is a great place to go. Most, if I were to pick a book currently, um, there's no better case study and not to suggest that this is the perfect company than Amazon right now. So if you want to be leading business leaders, having an understanding of like, you know, what is the most, one of the most profitable companies in the world look like? How do they operate? What are the lessons mm. in their 26 or 27 year history now? There's a great new book called Working Backwards, written by two executives at Amazon um, that, I'm ask, that I ask a lot of my clients to read because uh, I think there's a lot of stuff in there. So those would be the first two that come to mind. Nice. Yeah. Um, and so what, uh, there was a question I had and I just, based on what you said and I've forgotten it, it'll, it'll come back to me. Yeah. Um, I'd, I'd love to ask you then about, yeah, that was it. I've got it. So okay. um, it's about the executive side of things. Um, and I'm just wondering, like, if you're seeing something that's really, that executives are really needing in these times um, that the coaches can support them with. I'm sure that's a lot of things, but uh, maybe we could start with if you've seen anything that's come become really relevant in the last two or three years, you know, yeah. the pandemic and everything that's going on. And then we can open it up into a wider conversation about the work you do with leaders. But 
Sure. Um, in some ways, I think the pandemic has just um, intensified a pre-existing phenomenon, which is increasing complexity. You know that that we're living in a and a lot of people speak about this in this way, uh, a world of increasing complexity, the world, you know, acronym VUCA is thrown around a lot, right? Volatility, uncertainty, complexity, ambiguity. And that was certainly true prior to the pandemic. I think it's even more true today. And so some ways we're just dealing with an increasingly complex world and people are trying to make sense of it um, and are struggling. Um, and they have been, you know, for, and I don't think that's anything new. I think it just may be more apparent and I think coaching can be um, a resource for senior executives to uh, begin to understand and uncover the capacities they already have to deal more effectively, more gracefully, um, more joyfully in a world that's challenging and complex. And the you know, fundamental um, premise that we bring into that is this sense of enormous capacity that already exists in human beings. This, you know, what I call the human superpower, which is the ability to choose the meaning we give any situation. And um, it's a very sort of constructivist uh, approach to human development that, you know, our reality is entirely constructed. And when we first begin to realize that, I can say for myself, speak from the eye, when I first began to realize that, it was, it was, it was mind-blowing that hold on a second, my entire experience of reality was 100% constructed, 100% made up. Uh, that's hard to actually own and realize, but if you ask the question and sit with it enough, you'll see that it's 100% true, at least it is in my experience and the people that I work with. And that what's constructed can be reconstructed. Um, and now I've uncovered an enormous superpower, maybe that I had never known existed. And I can begin to choose the meaning that I give to my circumstance. I can get confronted with a very challenging situation and begin to realize that, hold on a second, how I think about, remember Trium's mission to change the world by changing the way business leaders think. How I think about this situation is entirely up to me. I have choice and it's not about whether the way I think about it is true or not, because I can find truth on either end. It's about which way of making meaning better serves me. And the basic architecture of performance that I talk about is meaning drives actions. I give meaning to a certain situation. I give meaning to this conversation, which is I'm in a delightful conversation with Joel where I get to hopefully impact you know, his listeners um, is one meaning. Another meaning is like, gosh, I got another podcast to do. Mm -hmm. Now, both could be true, right? <laughs> but certainly the former meaning is much more empowering, much more fulfilling is going to lead to a set of available actions I can choose from. So my actions will fundamentally shift the result of the meaning I give to the situation and the results I get will be much more in line with the, the, the results I want in life. So back to your question of like, okay, so how does, you know, what do business leaders think is they need to, what they need is I think a way of understanding their experience that's dramatically different and a set of practices that enable them to begin to take control of rather than being shaped by their experience. And then the actions that are now available to take are massively bigger. Now they're not guaranteed to succeed, but greater actions, greater range of actions, greater probability of getting the results that you want in business and life. And that's the, 
that's the conversation we're now in. Mm. How, how would you actually go about that? Say you were working with a, an executive or a CEO and they came in to you for coaching. What would be the process you might go through to help them uncover uh, perhaps like a way of meaning that was getting in the way or constricting their leadership? Yeah, it can. It's so dependent on the mm. on the situation and the person. One of the clues I'm often looking for, or cues, I should say, that I'm often looking for is some complaint or judgment. And by the way, we have lots of those as human beings, right? <laughs> Hundreds a day, but that'll usually show up. And it's usually a complaint or a judgment. It's never never about themselves. It's almost always about my team, my organization, the situation, something outside of me. And uh, we have a, uh, a distinction that we bring that's um, a number of people have some version of this, which we call victim versus responsible mindset. And, you know, in, in psychology, it's, you know, the, the closest equivalent is locus of control, right? Internal or external locus of control. This fundamental belief that either the world shapes me, circumstances shape me, there's very little I can do. Or again, we get to choose our beliefs um, I shape my circumstances. There's always something I can do to affect any situation. I go so far as to say I'm 100% responsible, not because that's true. It almost never is, but because it's a much more powerful stand to take in the world and will lead to better actions and better results. So oftentimes I'll just seize on something. Uh, my team is blah, 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 you know, fill in the blank. And it's, it's such an, it's, it's a very um, powerful uh, point of intervention uh, because almost always it'll show up. Um, almost always there's truth in that complaint, frustration, or judgment. So I always honor it, right? I'm not trying mm. to deny the, the, the veracity of the belief. But we can quickly point to, is it, is it serving you? I oftentimes bring in the work of Byron Katie, not like formally, uh, if you're familiar with her work uh, called The Work. And her essential thesis is about a radical responsibility. Whenever I begin to question my belief, is it true? Who am I? How do I react with that belief? What would I, what would I do if I didn't hold that belief? And then I turn it around. You know, my team isn't innovative enough. When I begin to sit with that belief and I say, okay, if I'm 100% responsible, where is it that I'm not innovative enough? Holy cow. I mean, I've been stuck in this question for six months. I haven't been innovating around how to how to, you know, how to make us more innovative. I haven't done this. I haven't done that. And all of a sudden, what shifts in the conversation is this notion of that I've been complaining and judging and been frustrated by situation after situation after situation. But I've never once asked myself the question, where am I doing the very thing that I'm blaming others for I'm asking others to do? Um, and that's a like, that's a mind blowing shift. And I sort of say, I don't care about your team. I'm here to coach you. Let's start with you. Because if you begin to lead in a way that is consistent with what you're asking of others, you're, you're going to be at a different level of leadership and people will naturally follow. So where do I start is often usually some complaint judgment or frustration. And I get a leader to begin to see for him or herself that, it's all 100% inside. Do you, do you think that, or do you find that um, then in that process, there might be the need for some leader to um, come into um, some kind of a, 
um, acceptance or um, acknowledgement of their identity and the beliefs, other beliefs they hold about the way the world is. Like, because I can imagine on one level, that's a really powerful distinction. If they see in the moment I'm doing that and a bunch of people, that'll be enough, you know, that that'll be, they'll, they'll, that'll lead them down a different path. But for others, it might be, I'm imagining that there's, yeah, it's like, it doesn't happen so swiftly. There's maybe more work around it. Do you, do you find that? Yeah, for sure. And I think maybe part of what I hear you potentially pointing to is just the, this notion of adult stage development, right? That mm-hmm. the human being sitting across from us um, is at a certain stage of development. We all are. And to at least have that um, as context for you know, the coaching, I think is important, whether the practitioner is skillful enough or the opportunity lends itself to actually bring that in explicitly as a separate question. But I always like to at least have a sense of, okay, where is this person on their developmental journey? You know, um, and whatever model of adult stage development you like, you know, and there are multiple models out there and they're all, they're all very good. I'm not actually a big uh, model person. I like the under the meta model of actually people, you know, are at different stages and at different stages, they make meaning in different ways and they have a different relationship to their own psychology and their own level of self-awareness. And so your question is a very good one, which is to not be mindful of that will won't you won't necessarily be able to meet the client where they are so oftentimes yes i'm you know i have the the maybe it's the good fortune or not of working with very senior executives and there is a bit of correlation between age and experience and development it's not perfect um but oftentimes the leaders are at at some stage of development where they're well those distinctions will won't be too foreign to them or if they're foreign to them they'll, they'll actually grok them pretty quickly but sometimes not. I, I work with um, even senior executives or you know founders um, uh, that are that are younger or maybe um, earlier in their development, where we just have to take that slower. And so it's a lot of listening and curiosity. And I think this probably goes without saying, hopefully, but an incredible amount of compassion that being human is hard. And um, so I think part of our coaching approach is I'll tell you, I'll share one little, little aside. I think that'll, de- that'll demonstrate this point. Oftentimes we talk a lot about feedback um, and my partner, uh, Andrew Blum really helped me see this distinction. He's like, let's just drop the word feedback. It's actually coaching. And there's a shift that happens um, when, you know, so if when I'm coaching somebody to give feedback, I'm actually coaching them to coach someone. I'm actually coaching them to take their, experience of the coaching, the work that we're doing and do that with others. And I asked the question, I said, do you ever feel defensive, threatened, you know, unnecessarily provoked by your coach? And they're like, no, I said, well, that's sort of what we're trying to do when we, when we give feedback. So a lot of our coaching, of course, is comes from a place where people feel absolutely not judged, cared for, supported. And, um, and that's, you know, of course, essential to, uh, to good coaching, I think. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah and um just following on from this then um how how do you invite people in the leaders to reconstruct their the beliefs or the mean the meaning they're making in order to you know create um 
skillful means or the outcomes they want? Like, do you have a particular way you'd like to do that? Or I imagine it all flows out of perhaps the, the meaning they're already making. Yeah, it so, does. Yeah. It is. I think maybe the first point I'd make, um, and it took me a while to get here as a coach and probably still haven't arrived and probably never will, um, is no agenda. You know, no, uh, you know, I think in my early part of coaching, there was a lot of like, how am I going to get this to happen? Mm, and right. as I, um, you know, became more experienced, uh, continue to evolve myself, look at my own um, egoic needs to, you know, add value and, uh, you know, be right and all of those things that I began to sort of, that, that began to drop and fade away so that I could show up to a conversation and with enough intention, right? So it's not completely structureless. Um, but that sort of sits in the background and I'm much more in a uh, emergent conversation and the right thing will appear. Uh, the right way to answer your question appears in the moment. And then practitioners can draw on tools and experiences. You know, ITC is a great tool, right? Immunity to change. Uh, polarity, uh, you know, polarity thinking by Barry Johnson's a great wisdom tool that can help people uncover, uh, you know, beliefs that they have in a, in a different, you know, through a different lens. Um, I often will just, you know, just be in the conversation of like, okay, let's talk about the fact that you have a belief. So I love Keegan's subject object distinction mm. that perhaps you haven't seen that you've been subject to maybe for your entire life, that that belief has really served you, right? It's protected you. It's kept you safe. Not may not necessarily have made you thrive. So we're not, I, I, the distinction I draw is that we're not getting rid of a belief. It's not a from to shift. This is about an expansion. You always have that belief there to serve you. But what I'm help, helping clients see is that actually I can expand the range of belief or maybe decrease the attachment, the compulsive obsessive attachment I have to it so that there's now some range for me, some freedom. I get to choose, oh, maybe this belief to be liked is really helpful in this situation. And maybe not. That's one of my old ones, um, which I still have, but I just have a lot more range. And so a lot of it is about helping them maybe see for the first time that they hold the belief, that it's not conflated with identity, like we tend to conflate our beliefs with our identities. And when we start to pull those apart and see them as I say in my book, like I you know, woke up, I was 40 years old and realized that I was living a life run by a set of beliefs written by a seven-year-old boy. There's something like absurd in that, you know, like funny and freeing when one can begin to see, oh, hold on a second. I made all these beliefs up probably when I was really young. I probably had a purpose and maybe they've reach the limit of their effectiveness. So let's play with them a little bit. And I can begin to see how connected they are to my behavior. So that's the process I go through. It's just a lot of awareness. And from that awareness, it just becomes relatively natural to say, oh, that's interesting. I might be able to do something different here. Okay, let's talk about what that might be. And sometimes that's a, a more evolved belief. Sometimes it's a set of experiments to test the belief. Um, sometimes it's just so obvious that I don't have to do anything. You know, they don't have to do anything. It just depends. I, I think this is really important. This, this, the thing you said about emergence, I want to come back to. So remind me if I forget. But yeah. um, this is quite profound, I think. Um, 
I, I hear it in my clients too. It's like when they're talking about, you can hear it when they're subject to a certain belief because mm. it's like they talk about it in this way where it's the way they are or the world is. You can get a feel for it, you know? It's like yeah. they haven't actually been able to make that shift and, and look at it. So, you know, you can actually learn to get a feel for it and then reflect that back to the to the client and start to create that that objectivity. But the, I just remember in my life when things started to crack open in that way, and it, it's like um, it was a very um, profound time in my life, like almost like um, the sense of possibility that starts to, to rush in yeah. is very exhilarating. And, um, you know, there's this almost this sense of magicianship, like oh, I can actually begin. It's not like I can magic things to happen, but... I can actually construct the way I see the world in ways that lead to these uh, exhilarating possibilities. And um, so I wanted to kind of underscore what you were saying there. Yeah, I think it's so, and, and I think even what you just did, there was an aliveness in what you just shared that if I were your client, I'd like to hear that. So oftentimes I think we are too reluctant to share our own personal experiences as coaches. But in most select moments, I think it's very helpful. Like I would have loved to have heard that of you, you know, rather than it's all focused on me and like, what does this mean? Like I oftentimes will share, let me just share my own experience, right? Let me share where I was, you know, quote unquote, you know, stuck and what it felt like to experience me for the first time and to see it for the first time. And so, you know, oftentimes we can do that as coaches and, and I think it can be very helpful. I think there's do it too much. It can be a little bit, um, there's some risk in that, but, uh, but yeah, I, I, I completely agree. It is this sense of um, uh, freedom and, and, uh, and empowerment that gets unleashed when, you know, somebody sees for the first time something they haven't seen. Um, mm -hmm. And particularly a dominant, you know, identity-based belief that has been part of who, you know, who they've wound up being for a long, long time. And just to pull those two things apart for someone is, or help them pull it apart, um, is, is, I think, incredible coaching. Mm. There's a couple of things you said, and I want to um, reflect them back and see what you make of it. Because um, one was this sense of emergence, you know, that you spoke about where you really sort of um, move beyond trying to be a valuable coach, you know, or get somewhere, even though you're, you're are of course, delivering value, but you're not caught in that identity. And um, then this, this last piece that we just talked about, um, where you're sharing yourself, because um, I think they point towards, to me, this space of mastery. And I want to see what you think, where... Um, on the one hand, uh, we can be caught in the identity of being um, a, a good coach, you know, so a good coach uh, doesn't share themselves too much. It's all about the client. And there are certain sets of um, ideas we hold that can actually um, dampen down on the intimacy and the, the immediacy of the connection. And um, so I'm wondering whether you see that in your own practice where there's more of a move into, yes, just trusting what will emerge in the conversation and and daring to bring yourself in a in a way that can kind of enliven uh, and enrich the transformational arena that that wasn't there in a way when you know I'm if I'm just Joel Monk the coach you know that creates a certain power dynamic and set of 
or you know me- meaning like it creates a certain um constructed experience yeah. so and i'll see where you take that yeah well i think it's pointing to maybe the biggest issue of all in coaching which is um the need for each of us to be committed to our own development um you know it, it's a maybe it's it's something that just should be assumed but i just wanted to make it explicit you know that a you know, big part of our firm's history has been practitioners that are totally committed to and passionate about their own development almost see trim in the practice as a selfish way of doing their own work <laughs> right i think is great right and i think I, I say that because i often ask like what's good coaching and i say really it's it's showing up in an authentic congruent way such that you're giving the person you're coaching a as lived um, manifested sense of what's possible so that what i'm pointing to for them i'm actually living if there's incongruence between those two things, it's going to be hard for me to coach well. And if I'm asking people to be authentic, to be vulnerable, to um, have mastery over their psychology, to blah, 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 and I'm not showing up in a way that is congruent with, you know, not what I'm asking, but what I'm pointing to as possibility uh, for, for a client, it's, I'm gonna balance, I'm, it's not going to work. So I have to be in that place that I'm pointing to already, not all the time, but certainly my dominant experience. And in order to be in that place as my dominant experience, I have to be committed to and zealous about my own development, constantly aware of my own, you know, growth edges, constantly taking them on. And um, so that's, I think, um, and then, I begin to evolve into continue to evolve into the kind of coach that can have the kinds of conversations that are more likely to add value. And I'm not attached to adding value. Right. So that's the you know, somewhat paradoxical nature of, uh, of this craft that we're doing. And I'm sure everybody listening either already understands that or, or gets it to some extent, but um, that to me is maybe the essential aspect of coaching well is um like the coach that's dedicated and passionate about and committed to you know their own their own development and that shows up you know demonstrably and because there's a level of maturity um that evolves from that commitment there's no hesitancy to share personal experience it's done from a completely selfless mature um humble place and that is almost always, if not always, well-received. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more with what you're saying. I think it's the number one. It's the difference that makes the difference. Yeah. More than any training we can do. Yes. It's the, it's the thing that will impact the work we do. And what, what for you has been, again, this is probably an impossible question, but um, what's had the biggest impact on your development? Yeah, the things well, that have had yeah, the th- yeah. I love that question because now we get to nerd out a little bit. Um, so many things. Uh, I'll just start there. And uh, you know, I came to the world of personal development, personal growth, transformation relatively late in life. So, been a bit of a, like a, a you know catching up uh, to people that have had decades of this. In some ways, I think there's maybe something helpful and healthy about that. 
Um, but there have been numerous experiences, teachers, bodies of wisdom that have that have really influenced me. I mentioned Byron Katie. Uh, she's a close friend of, of, of our firm and an incredible you know, wisdom teacher. Um, her books, her school, every single partner at the Trium Group has done her nine-day school, some cases many times. Um, so that body of, that's very profound, powerful, and simple body of work, four questions and a turnaround. And that practice is, um, has been very influential. Um, and some, you know, sometimes I will bring that into the coaching explicitly, but most of the time it just sits as context, uh, informs me and feeds me. Um, and I owe it an incredible, uh, debt of gratitude to, uh, to, to Katie and, and her work. Um, Trium was founded and part of its DNA derives from the whole world, the old world of Est and landmark form right. and that curriculum. So there is a, Erhard a people. Yeah, yeah, Werner Erhard. And, and I yeah. was able to um, have some experience directly with him. Um, a brilliant man, uh, incredible body of work, very powerful in transformational work, how it's delivered. You know, people have their you know, qualms about, but there is a way, there is a provocative in your face aspect of that work that can really complement good coaching. And I will use that at times. I will say that sometimes people need, want, and are just hungry for somebody to metaphorically grab them by the lapels and sort of shake them, you know, and say, wake the, you know what up. Right. And sometimes I do that. I'll go there provocatively. And it's from a place of love. It's from a place of relationship. I um, can't remember who said it, but there's a time in the therapist's life. I think it was Scott Peck, Road Not Taken. Mm. I'm in a therapist's life where, you, where you, you realize it's time to throw myself on the line for the client and put everything at risk. And so from that body of work, I learned what it looks like to take a stand for someone um, and in a way that, that, that would from the outside look very risky, but done with a lot of congruence and heart, which is part of that work was missing a little bit of heart. Um, it can be incredibly powerful. So that, that body of work, very, very, um, very helpful. I already mentioned Barry Johnson's work around polarity. I, I can't help but bring paradox polarity thinking into almost every co coaching engagement. Um, once you see, that distinction, you see the world differently and there's no way to see it the old way. Um, and uh, I think Bob Keegan and Lisa Leahy with Immunity to Change and the work they've done about adult stage development and all of the, it's probably seven or eight theorists that come to mind around adult stage development. The work of somatic you know, work, Strozzi and others and somatic experiencing therapy, uh, internal family systems, Richard Schwartz, I think is just mm -hmm. mind blowing. I think that has its yeah. place. And I bring that in. So I'm yeah. a multi-modality person. So you're getting a long list, but they're a representative example. Uh, and then I would say just to round out the conversation, I'll stop here, Joel, is like all of this stuff existed thousands of years ago, right? So I've spent a lot of time going back to the ancient texts and um, philosophies and understanding what were they saying? Because they were, that's all they had was time to think about the question of what does it mean to be, right. you know, an alive fulfilled human being. And there's enormous wisdom. Uh, much of what we do today is just derivative of that. So. Yeah. 
That's uh, fantastic. And I love the list of uh, quite a lot of those people have been a guest on the podcast and mm. um, just to name it. Yeah. I think the implications for internal family systems and coaching is huge. You know, this um, to do truly transformational work once you uncover these parts, which can then I think be actually a developmental accelerator, because I think, um, you know, for those of us that are developmental um, geeks, it's like when I first got into it, I was like, how can I develop as fast as possible? Mm-hmm. But actually now I've matured, it's like, it's actually more for me about horizontally filling out and then the developmental organically occur. And I think internal family systems is a great tool for doing that kind of work, you know, integrating all these parts and socialized aspects of us. Yeah, I, you know, when you ask the question, how do you work with a client around a belief, I was tempted to go there because oftentimes, almost always, it's a certain part that holds that belief. And we're stuck in a paradigm that sort of treats the personality as, you know, you know one personality. And we, when we give our clients the language of parts, where we can see that it's perhaps an exiled part or, you know, an early childhood part that's holding this belief. And what we're actually doing is unburdening that part that's had to hold this belief and suffer as a consequence. Now, all parts are good, right? They've, they've done it in a way that's protected. That's, that's a next level nuance um, that can really, really be powerful um, and really help the um, expansion of that belief, right? The letting, the letting go and that attachment to it. So I, I yeah, I think it's, that work, the work that Richard Schwartz has done is, um, is just, uh, you know, what a, what a gift he's given the world. Mm. And do you have like any daily practices that you find um, really support your practice? Because, you know, you mentioned emergence and, uh, you know, that ability to, um, in a sense, like see the part of you that wants to bring value, but not be hooked by it. So I'm wondering if you have any kind of, you know, embodied practice or meditation that, that you find is important in your work? Yeah, um, I do. I'm a big believer in daily rituals. Um, and uh, meditation is, is one of them. I meditated before uh, this because it was early, early my time. Uh, so I, I, I meditate every morning. Um, and for me, meditation is a practice of um, continuing to build the capacity to see, um, to be able to see thoughts as objects um, you know, in consciousness and, you know, that's really all they are. Um, and that, that space being, being, you know, with, you know, uh, that's created in the capacity to see allows for, you know, more to be more choiceful. So for me that it's that practice. And there's a, also a practice of part of that practice. This is about stillness. Um, I'm a big believer in physiology of leadership, like mm. our autonomic nervous system, um, and that, you know, a still regulated physiology is provides the conditions for us to be at our best. And so there's a part of meditation that's also about just getting in, you know, my, my central nervous system in a place where um, I can be at my best. Um, so that's, that's a, that's a for must for me. I do something, um, do a lot of work around identity, which are the beliefs we hold about ourselves. And oftentimes we'll invite my clients to, construct because we can construct beliefs about ourselves as well uh, a new identity and uh, you know form an identity statement so i say my identity statement every day 
mm-hmm. uh, multiple times a day. And, um, and I do maybe the most profound practice, which takes about 30 seconds. And it's the first thing I do the moment I regain consciousness in the morning. The moment I wake up is, you know, I'm, I do it in, you know, internally so I don't wake up my wife, um, which is I just, I, I sit there, I open my posture, I put a big smile on my face. I say, thank God I'm alive. This is going to be an amazing day. And then I say three things I'm grateful for. And the mm. thing that's most important is every time the first thing is always something I'm grateful about myself. I'm proud of. I, I've noticed that my, I and others left to our own devices will deny ourselves the kind of love and appreciation that we need to be able to actually give to others. So mm. like, okay, well, what would be a practice? I, okay, every single day I'm going to say, gosh, I'm really, now tomorrow morning, it might be something like, gosh, I was really proud of the way I showed up with Joel, how open I was, how da 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 da. That may not be true, but I'm going to be proud of myself for it. Mm. I can already tell. Um, and that act of giving myself appreciation is, uh, is an extraordinary act. And then there are two other things that, you know, not about me, right. It might, it might, it might be my health or it might be my children or my wife or my friends or some situation. And that's 30 seconds. That's how I start my day. And, uh, a little bit of meditation, throw in the identity statement. It's not a, it's yeah. not a whole lot. So you can do all of that in 10 or 15 minutes. Right. Yeah. It's a potent way. And it- combating the the negativity bias that we have the you know tendency to have this like looking for what's wrong or yeah not how we want it so yeah and self-appreciation in some ways is parts work you know that Mm. part of me that you know didn't feel loved as a child right okay well who's gonna fix that other than me the adult Right. right self right you know chairman of the board me and I was like, okay, well, I can wake up every morning and tend to that, tend to the, you know, and that's integration work. It may not, you know, it may not be explicitly named as such, but that's, that's what that is. Mm. How, how did you create the identity statement as well? I'm curious about that. Is it, is, do you kind of spend a bit of time visioning, you know, around what you're being called to become and what you want yeah. your life to be? And yeah, how do you go about yeah, constructing uh, that? I have to say it's like, it starts with I am, and then it's mm. a blank sheet of paper. So it can look different for everyone. Um, but something that, um, you know, I, I often say the most powerful driver of human behavior is the desire to be consistent with one's identity. Like I, re- I literally can't take actions that are inconsistent with the beliefs I hold about myself. And the bad news is we're all running around with a bunch of beliefs around ourselves in, you know, at odds with what we want to do in the world. <laughs> Some version of I'm not good enough. And we're expecting to do different things. So I'm like, okay, well, what if I were to begin to consciously shift the beliefs that I hold about myself? And some people get stuck here because they're like, oh, it doesn't feel authentic. I'm like, no, you know what's inauthentic? Denying your God-given gifts to the world. That's what's inauthentic and selfish. Actually claiming them and honoring them and saying, I have every right, you know, and responsibility to give those to myself and to others, that's authenticity, that's integrity, that's, that's being selfless. So there's some work just around this weird notion of like, it's like Marianne Williamson's quote, maybe some people are familiar with it, um, and it's a long one and I can't paraphrase it, but this notion of like, you know, really owning our unique gifts and we all have them. And um, so there's just some work in just being able to get over the conditioning and patterning 
um, that's prevented us from doing that. And then it's just to sit there and write, you know, a, a paragraph that you can say as a mantra and, mm -hmm. um, and uh, begin to believe and own in your body. So it's, it's about getting the identity into the body such that what I'm saying, what I'm believing and how I'm holding my body are completely aligned. And when you've got that going, watch out world, right? So that's, I oftentimes I'll do that work with very senior leaders, CEOs of organizations that, you know, some part of their psychology is getting in the way of them doing what they want. They say a good game, I want to create this great company and this great mission, but their internal dialogue, their psychology, their physiology are all suggesting something very different. And then they're saying like, why isn't it happening? So, um, but, but, you know, we can't just be said and written down and it can't be said meekly as to be really owned and, and embodied. I, I love this. Like, I think, again, I want to like double underscore what you're saying right now, because it's, it's, um, it can sound very simple, but it, it's, it's just such a, because speaking out loud, this identity is um, an act of leadership in a way. And it, it's, um, it's this, this practice that will surface the incongruencies if they're not there. So yeah. you can, you can feel it, you know, and I think this is something as coaches, we can all do with our clients, you know, either explicitly through getting them to speak out this statement or, you know, implicitly through the words they're saying anyway, because, you know, I know in my own life, I've also struggled with that. It's like, where can I like fully land inside of that thing I'm here to be, you know, mm -hmm. and where am I like apologetic about it? And I'm like, yes. I can feel, I can feel in my, my being where I'm, yeah, I can't quite own it. And I, and I move away from it. And so, yeah, we can actually learn to be with that and metabolize that conditioning. So I, I think it's, you know, um, a very profound practice that you're speaking about right now, especially to come back to it day by day. Cause I imagine for you, that's a journey. Yeah. I mean, actually it's a good question. Like what, what's it like to keep doing it over time? Does it evolve or yeah, uh, you, your relationship to it shifts. You know, like. It does. And, uh, you know, it certainly evolved in the first several months, like the language. And even over time, I added things. You know, I, I often tell this story, which is you know, it was four years ago. Um, a lot of this actually came together. I want to I want to source um, and credit uh, Richard Strozzi because I attended his uh, right. body leadership course. And a whole bunch of things came together for me in that. Uh, I had been familiar with this notion of getting, you know, language and getting it embodied and, but to spend, you know, several days, you know, working on that really took my understanding to a new level. And he also encouraged, you know, really asked us to come up with a commitment. And it was in the first day of that course that I came up with my commitment to write a book um, and then practice for four days, getting a declaration of getting it in my body, such that commitment had a higher probability of succeeding. And, um, so, you know, I, uh, I noticed, though, uh, in the process saying I'm committed to writing a book, that the identity I was holding was at odds with that commitment. That there were beliefs about myself, namely, I'm not an author. Now, somebody who holds a belief that I'm not an author will talk a lot about writing a book, will never write a book. I also held a belief that there's nothing original I have to say, nothing interesting that I would write about that people would want to read, and I needed five to ten more years. Now stack those beliefs on top of each other, that portion of my identity, the odds of me following through on a commitment that I just made in that course was next to, you know, close to zero. So my identity evolved to add, I am an author. Right. And when I, and I needed to say it with absolute certainty, 
I need to be in my body. And I am absolutely an author. I deserve to write something. I, I am going to write something that is going to affect people and the world. And until I got that into my identity, there was no chance of doing all of the actions, sitting down every day to write, that would lead ultimately to the, the writing of a book. So yeah, to your answer your question, um, it does evolve. And you'll I continue to see areas where what I'm wanting in life, what I'm wanting to give, produce, achieve, whatever, are inconsistent in some way, shape, or form with how I am believing myself to be. And then that requires some attention. And uh, it's a constant, constant evolution. This again highlights to me this idea of like the exhilaration I felt with the magicianship. It's like, mm. of course, there are these core beliefs about uh, I'm not enough or I'm not intelligent enough. You know, they're usually around something around self-worth. But then, you know, these beliefs you're naming, it's like we're all walking around with these, like I'm not an author or it'll take me five to 10 years. That, and if you, if you uncover those, I mean, and then you replace them with something, that's, that's profound. Like it really does, uh, it does change things on a profound level. So, um, you know, it, re it reminds me of The Art of Possibility by yeah. Benjamin Sander, you know, that kind of, that yeah. book has that flavor of- Yeah, it's, it's all invented, he said. Right. Yeah, right. and I got, again, I, I love giving credit. Um, one of the other bodies of work that I neglected to mention and I shouldn't have is, um, is Tony Robbins. Mm. Tony Robbins is a master of this part of getting it, your um, beliefs wired into your, into your body. I, there's no one better I've ever seen. And uh, you know, he taught me a lot about what does it mean to get our psychology embodied, wired into the subconscious, to do this kind of magic, because it cannot happen. And that may be a little too definitive if it's not in the body. If it's up here and it's, all we're doing is trying to change beliefs and how we think, good luck. And this is where a lot of people get stuck and frustrated. Um, and so this work of like, you know, really like owning your body and seeing its connection. And I think as coaches, um, we can do a lot to the extent we are, have an experience with it ourselves. I wouldn't suggest doing this, right? Like, okay, like, we can be astute observers, number one, of where there's incongruence. Somebody saying they want to do something and looking at their physiology and saying it's not adding up and being able to have, you know, skillfully point out where and then work with our clients to say like, okay, let's, let me say that again. Oftentimes they like, uh-uh, that, that I'm not convinced. If I'm not convinced, you're not convinced, right? So let's work on that again. What it look like to really own that? I see you're stepping back, right? When you said that or your eyes kind of go up. Like we actually don't need to be trained in this. We have hundreds of thousands of years of evolution to draw on. We are so finely attuned to what's going on with other people. We just haven't paid attention. This is just about like finally owning, like we have these incredible skills as mammals. Let's tap into them a little bit and just start paying attention and get curious. You will see enormous amounts of data. You don't need to have some training course or skills, my belief at least, just be a human being and pay attention and just start to offer, this is what I'm noticing. And, and, and yeah, I was about to say, do you think that's part of it that, and dare to, to offer what you're noticing? That's, I think, where a lot of coaches hesitate, you know? Yeah. It's like they don't share what they're seeing. 
I think so. And, and again, there is nuance and skill in all of this. You know, it, it needs to come from a place of, again, it's the paradox of confidence and humility. You know, have enough confidence because of your life experience, your training, whatever it is, there's plenty to draw on and enough humility to not, I don't, I don't know this to be the case, but here's what I'm noticing. Mm-hmm. Does that land for you? And, and enough developmental maturity to have the client say, no, oh, interesting. Well, what's landing for you? Well, actually, yes, it did feel a little off here. Yeah, I noticed that too. Well, now we're in a great conversation, mm-hmm. you know? And that goes back to the big point, Joel, that we were talking about before, which is about this need as coaches to be constantly investing in our own developmental maturity, to be in a conversation like that, you know, where you're putting yourself out there and you may be stretching beyond what you believe you need by way of formal training um, in service of the client requires a, it requires a level of maturity um, that I continue to strive for. Um, I have it some days and some days I don't, um, but, but that's the, that's the, another, another reason for that. Um, I'd love to ask you like a final couple of questions, but just yeah. before I do, where, where would you recommend that we look? Cause Anthony Robbins has brought out quite a lot of work and yeah. I mean, it might be baked into everything he's put out, but if there, cause I, it piques my curiosity and you know, I'm really passionate about how do we embody what we most want to be and create in the world. So is, is there like a specific place you might point us to that you've discovered that in his work? Um, the experiences he creates, you know, there's really no substitute. Um, And, you know, I think what I'd like to maybe leave listeners with is um, all of these bodies of work, you know, they're easy to find faults. And I hear it all the time. Well, this is this and that's that. And this is like a cult and that's weird. And and I just was like, really? Can we get beyond that, please? And look at what's the wisdom and benefit and take Mm. what you want from these experiences. You don't have to take everything. You're, you're bigger than that. It, it, that complaint implies that something's going to happen to me that I have no control over. And and I think that's crazy. And I understand it. I want to be compassionate that that's, that's a place I've been as well. I found myself saying like, wait a second, I get to pick and choose what I take from these experiences. And there's gotta be something people, people, respectful people, people that I admire are talking about these. And so I'm going to go and, and be a kid in a candy store. Um, so I always say, go to the, go to the source and, and, and have the experience, spend three days in a workshop, spend six days in a workshop, um, get every ounce of it. Like, you know, sit there, don't, you know, don't go on breaks, like throw yourself fully into the experience and emerge with, you know, a new set of uh, experiences that really resonate for you. Not all of them will. Um, and that's, I think, certainly true for, for, for Tony Robbins, for Landmark, for every single thing that I've been to, and I've thrown myself at a lot of things, um, you get something really incredible out of. But it's only through experience that you will get any of what we've been talking about, because we can talk about it all day long. You got to put yourself in the arena you know, as they, as, you know, as Xander would say, from Landmark, that's his body of work, on the court of life, not in the stands. And this is about getting on the court of life, getting in there and experiencing what we've just talked about, 
and that would be a great that's a that's a really good place to start yeah that, that uh, two words you said that the arena i think is and the, the currency of transformation is experience it's not information that's the yeah uh a phrase i've been playing around with but i think it's um you know that's a mistake a lot of people make is staying on that level of ex- of information um yeah yeah uh, i'd love to ask then as a final question um just about i think i'm going to mix two questions together like one is because i want to hear you talking about the um i can't remember what you called it now but the statement identity statement that you mm. read out it thinks it brings to mind for me this idea of purpose and so i'm curious about you know um the purpose that you feel you're living into and and then if we could extend that out you know that i feel in these times that as a as a collective as a field that coaches are um have a collective purpose perhaps you know that um not as kind of activists or saviors but as deeply um servant practitioners we can be one of the vehicles that helps us in these times not the only one but uh, one of them that helps us navigate the complexity and uncertainty of these times and so i wonder if you could speak into a bit about your own purpose and then this wider purpose that you see coaches playing perhaps if you see if you see one yeah um i'm just reminded of the this wonderful quote by mother Teresa, which is if we would all just sweep our own front doorstep the whole world would be clean mm-hmm. um and I, I say that because I think oftentimes myself included, when I start to think about purpose, I go to like changing the world and I'm like, I'm not sure I have any, I don't think that's going to happen myself. So like go to this place of like, if I can just live my life as an example of what a virtuous person looks like, you know, and by doing that, I serve as a role model for my family, for my colleagues, um, and my clients, like I have, I've swept my own front doorstep. You know, I can feel great about that. And here's the, and is I also have, and we at Trium and as coaches in general have, uh, an enormous privilege and responsibility to have the sort of ripple effect of that change. Um, uh, you know, uh, affect the world our logo at Trium is this, this little ripple and, it, and it, it signifies and our choice of working with the very senior most leaders of organizations you know, signifies um, this belief that if we uh, help senior leaders begin to see new possibilities, lead in different ways um, that both achieve great business results and um, begin to transform the way we lead organizations, that the ripple effect that's going to have within their organizations um, and the people in those organizations within their communities and their families and the the broader ecosystem of these somewhat very large companies, sometimes very large companies, it's going to be enormous. So it's both a sort of um, narrow purpose focused on my own front doorstep, Mm -hmm. which in and of itself um, is incredibly fulfilling for me and a recognition that just because of the opportunity I have that that will have impact more broadly um, and that not to try to grasp for it too hard. I notice that as I start to like grasp for more and more impact, it becomes more and more fleeting that as I begin to let go of that 
and be comfortable with Mother Teresa's quote, look what Mother Teresa did, living out of that quote, right? So again, it's paradox, right? The more I try to, you know, have this big world changing the purpose, the less likely that is, the more I'm focused on what I can control, um, the more likely the impact will, you know, will be, be larger than I ever could hope for. Do, do you think that's because that big world changing thing can be, you know, often based in like a compensation or an image we might have of like what it is to be successful or, you know. I think for some people it could be right. Thank God for the people that think that big. Right. Right. Like, yeah, you know, yeah, like, yeah. you know, and there are people and they have that impact. But for, for others like myself, that for that doesn't quite feel true and authentic. It would feel like I'm striving for something because I'm supposed to. Then this is perfect. So mm -hmm. I think everybody's got to find their own, again, like authentic, congruent sense of purpose. Not, it's not some dictionary definition of what purpose is. Something that really feels right for them. And the more right it feels for you, I guess this is what I'm trying to say, the more likely it is that the full effect of who you are and the gifts you have will be felt and experienced. And that could be within your own family. It could be the world writ large or somewhere in the middle. And it doesn't really matter. That's beautiful. Um, I think this is a good place to... Uh, begin to bring our conversation to a close I feel like we've explored a lot of different topics and yeah um, I want to thank you firstly for um, just the way you shared yourself like um, yeah I just feel I feel that authenticity that you've spoken about and um, sincerity to the path you know deepening yourself so um, so thanks for that thank you John um, yeah um, where can we find out more about Trium? Um, you know, and, and the, also we didn't mention your book, but um, I guess there were the, a lot of the things in your book are baked into what we've been speaking about, but you could name your book and where we can find out more about that too. Sure. So Trium, uh, we have a website that goes into quite a bit of detail about who we are, Trium Group, T-R-I-U-M-G-R-O-U-P.com. And um, yeah, my book, which was published about a year and a half ago, almost two years ago, it's called Master Your Code, The Art, Wisdom, and Science of Leading an Extraordinary Life. And you can find it where most books are sold online. Uh, and there's an audio uh, version as well, which I narrate, which is a lot of fun. Uh, I also have a, a website because I write uh, weekly. Uh, and there's a place to, uh, to go if you want to receive that. And that's Darren J. Gold, D-A-R-R-E-N-J-G-O-L-D.com. Excellent. Here we are, we're at the end of the podcast. Just a, a heads up again, if you're not on our mailing list and you want to stay in the loop about other things we create, then head to coachesrising.com, put your name in the sign-up box there. You'll also find some of our other offerings, our online trainings for coaches there. And just want to end by wishing you well, and I'll see you again next time.